Welcome to Make Things That Matter, the podcast where we explore impactful products and the cultures that create them. I'm your host, Andrew Scottsko, and if I'm doing my job well, each episode of this show will help you to do meaningful work, make things that make things better, and have a great experience doing it. This is a special bonus episode to go along with episode 74, also with Chris Smith, who is a longtime engineering leader who has been in the trenches of building with AI and machine learning for years. Now, this short bonus conversation is intended to do one thing, to help you out during this crazy, crazy planning season we're all in right now. And the goal of it is to give you a simple framework to think about how to approach making investments into AI for your product and your company. So, Chris, welcome back. Since this is coming out right alongside our main conversation, a little bonus for the listener. And just to tee this up, what we're going to be talking about here is budgeting and planning for AI, considering that being early December, it's planning season. Everyone's going through that craziness. So if we have this technology that everyone knows they have to do something about, but don't actually know what to do with yet, how the hell do we plan for this, Chris? Yeah, carefully. As is the my favorite <laughs> answer on that kind of thing. Total dad joke there. No, um, to a certain degree, I think this is specialization on the work that you would do if you were planning out a software project. Usually with software, you're doing something you haven't done before, right? And mm-hmm. you're trying to explore it. I think the risk-reward ratios on software are also similar to with machine learning in the sense of, you know, there's a lot of upfront costs and then the per unit cost tends to be very low, right? And that's mm-hmm. where your profit comes in. So it's mm-hmm. it's high risk, though, because of the fact that you have to do that that upfront cost mm-hmm. in order to get there. Mm-hmm. I do think the interesting thing that has emerged over the last little while is, is with AI tooling being more productized, you can do some baby steps that minimize how much you have to do upfront in order to start getting into a, you know, that virtuous cycle of incremental uh, changes. You can literally test out an idea of whether it works with a large language model by like going right now to ChatGPT and typing in a question and seeing what the answer is that comes back. And if it comes back with a reasonably good answer, you know, hey, it's not going to be that hard for me to harness AI for this particular use case. And if you get a terrible answer, well, now you know you've got a lot more investment you're going to need to do before you're going to see anything. So I think that's probably the biggest change now is that step zero where you're doing exploratory work to figure out how big of the size the puddle is. You can figure that out a lot more cost effectively now. Before, you kind of had to sort of invest all this time in building out a model, testing it out. And then if it didn't work very well, you weren't sure if it was because you made a mistake somewhere along the way or whether it was just something that's not going to work. And so that it, it tended to make the cost much more expensive. Now you can get a very early signal about whether something is likely to work right from the beginning. You take one of these large language models that's been built and trained, pre-trained on just a massive data set. And if you're lucky, that data set includes enough knowledge that there's context and applicability to whatever problem you're working on and you don't have to do anything else. So I think that's, you know, the easy part is you can, you can have a pilot project to explore what so, so best case scenario open ai has already trained the model for you and done the hard part and you just get to rent theirs exactly at, at least to get to your initial proof that it's worth investing in this right mm, and then mm-hmm. as you know like once you get to that point it becomes so much simpler right because then it becomes how much is this product worth to me right you can test it out in the marketplace you can see how much it's worth and then based on how much it's worth you can make decisions about how much you want to invest in making it better mm-hmm. and that becomes a pretty 
that's like playing on easy mode from my perspective, because it's a lot harder when you don't know what the market value is for the work that you're doing and you're having to guesstimate whether an investment makes sense or not. So the, so that's step one. That's the easy case. Great. The next level harder is, eh, it's okay, but it's not, you, you can already tell before you launch that you're going to have to do some fine tuning on this before you're going to get uh, something of value. And this is, there's literally a process called fine tuning that you can do on, on these models, uh, which again has comparatively small uh, effort uh, for the reward, right? And you can get, you can get pretty far with that, but you do have to be a lot more principled about it. So you're, now you're going to have to make investment in, you know, collecting data properly, potentially labeling data. And then feeding it into the model in a, a principled fashion, that kind of stuff. That means now you need a team that understands how to do all these things right. So you got some, you got some cost there and you're, and some headcount that's like not nothing, right? So that's the, that's, and that's likely where a lot of people are. And to a certain degree, it's where you want to be because if it really is as easy as just going to chat GPT and you get the answer already, you don't have much of a moat between you and your competitors, right? It's like they're just they they're they're just going to cross it as easily as you did. Yeah, you have no moat. So you actually kind of want to be in that space where at least some work has to some investment needs to be done in order to reap the reward. And that's also where you can take advantage of your proprietary data. Explain a little bit about that of like what does this middle case look like where you're sort of leveraging the open AI model, for example, and then blending it with your proprietary data to create something that is is uniquely your own. Like what's an example of that that would illustrate this for people? It would be very helpful to be ex- a little more explicit about what are the kinds of signals that as an executive who doesn't who's not fluent in this technology, like if I'm a CFO, what are the signals that like it's working, it's not, we have a long way to go, we Yes. Well, what should I look for? I want to start with that actually because that's a really good question and 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 super relevant. So usually you have a, a principled scoring mechanism where you track it's it's almost like an NPS score, right? Where you're tracking how good were my outcomes? Uh, uh, how many times did I get a successful outcome? How many times did I get a mediocre outcome? And how many times did I get a terrible outcome, right? And then it just becomes a matter of scoring that and paying attention to it. There are much more principled, depending on the kind of problem you're working on, there are much more principled statistical measures that the data science team uh, uh, will no doubt want to use and should use. But those, that hive, is the product working well? Is it not working well? Like That's what makes sense at sort of a business level. At a more detailed level, there's things like precision and recall, which is often relevant. And there's a bunch of other uh, measures that you might want to come up with. And they're good for def- they're good for tracking the progress on the model itself, but they're not necessarily good for tracking progress on the business problem, right? Which are, you know, not necessarily the same thing. Often if you're doing well in one, it certainly means you're doing better in the other, but it's not a d- direct relationship. Sometimes you can have an excellent model and it provides no business value, right? It's entirely possible. Totally. Absolutely. So, so anyway, so that's, that's there. And so then we were trying to about an example case. So let's say that you are trying to use a, a large language model to support your customer service team, right? They're getting all these customer service calls. Right. And you want to help scale them up and prioritize and identify trouble cases and all this kind of stuff. So most of the conversations that customer service folks have with your company probably look like a lot of other conversations that happen everywhere else. So these large language models actually will come in with a pretty nice understanding, at least, you know, rudimentary of, of, you know, how to, how to understand what's going on. But 
there's nothing like being trained on a record of what actually happened in all of your customer service interactions, right? It's going to give them detailed context and knowledge about both your customer's context and your business's context, right? Like you can train it potentially on, oh, for product X, when you get this kind of request, the right solution is to do Y. And or, geez, this keeps happening with product X and every time we have to deal with it, it's a really hard problem to deal with. You have all these this bits of training data that you can feed into a model to help you get far better results than you would get without that proprietary information. Okay, okay, let me make sure I'm tracking with you here. So so the, almost the best case scenario as we're describing here, right? The worst case scenario is you can just go to ChatGPT and it, it just is amazing at it right now because then it's already done and there's no advantage for your business there. Oh, the, there's a disadvantage with not using it. So you do have to use it at that point, but it's like it's not Correct. getting you a win. It's just preventing you from losing. Excellent point. Okay, so that's not great. But then our, our middle case where there might actually be some additional new value is we have a problem domain that, I would assume is decently well represented by the data that these open AI models have been trained on, i.e. the the public internet. We'll come back to the the dollars and cents here in a second, mm-hmm. but it sounded like earlier there might have been a third scenario you were talking about. There's the third scenario, which is, you know, you kind of realize that the model to learn the wrong things. And so then you're going to potentially want to build from scratch or maybe you're going to need to do some really aggressive hyperparameter tuning. Yeah. So in, in that scenario, and, th- and this is a common scenario you have to do to get that fine-tuned model that's really doing exactly, performing at the level you need for your solution to be viable as a business, mm-hmm. that's where you're starting to talk big costs. And so you're going to have to budget for that. And it's going to be one of these things of like, you don't know how well it's going to perform until you get to the other side of it. So you're, you're, you're definitely looking at a, a much more prohibitive cost up front but on the upside, that means you're going to have something that nobody else has on the other side of it. Yeah. And now you're going to have a real advantage. I guess what I would love is if, if there's a way you could walk the listener through essentially like, here's how I could do some back of the napkin math to get a, you know, a rough approximation of, of what this is going to take uh, in, in a situation. So obviously, like there's some upfront thing about figuring out which of those big buckets you just laid out I'm in. And then how do I do some back of napkin math? How does that sound? Do you think we could do that? We can try. Okay, let's try it. So it's always challenging to, to, to trap it down to people's domains. So I, th- I think in the first scenario, your cost is mostly just the cost of actually doing the exploration, of having someone evaluate whether the existing models can do the job well enough and whether there's business value just in that. So that initial exploration, it's almost like a feasibility study that you would do mm-hmm. even if it wasn't AI. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's necessarily... Uh, uh, a special challenge, at least, or a different challenge from what people are actually used to. I mean, the more challenging one is like the ones that we talked about after that. So the fine-tuning scenario where you're having to make adjustments and you're, you're trying to invest in it. First of all, you got to think about you're going to need to invest in a team that knows how to manipulate uh, these tools. Uh, now, the bar for that's gotten a lot lower because things have been productized so much. But now it's really more about just having someone who can run experiments properly, understand how to manipulate models. And so that's like, you know, you're talking like a team of, you can even do it with a team of one, uh, depending on how small the exploration is. You know, a team of like three or four people can mm-hmm. get a lot done in terms of exploring mm-hmm. the opportunity, at least to, to de-risk it, to identify. Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. you don't have a finished product at the end of that, but you have identified, can I get value or can I not? at the end of that process, mm-hmm. or how much more am I going to have to invest in order to get value? 
the biggest challenge when the when I say that depends on the nature of the problem is how easy is it to collect together the data that you need in order mm-hmm. to perform the experiment. Sure, if it's all neatly organized in a database already and you just need to do some queries and feed it into it, it's going to take, it might not take uh, more than three weeks really to get that done, right? Usually in my experience, that's not the state of things. The data is mm-hmm. really kind of a mess. All right, so it sounds like it sounds like this is something that if I'm doing kind of like order of magnitude budgeting here, it's like, okay, I could have a small handful of folks do this assessment within a quarter. Yeah, that, exactly. And you can get some okay. kind of result from it. And you might even, by the end of the quarter, you might be in a position to actually be working on actually putting the product out there. Even you might not, you might have already done your exploration before the quarter's over. But yeah, I think that is a reasonable statement. And then there's, you know, kind of that third scenario, which you can often get to after making that first, those first mm-hmm. two investments of tried it with nothing. We tried it with just doing a little bit of something with our special data mixed into it to see what that does. And okay, now we're, in all cases, you saw enough evidence to think that, that a, a suitable model was achievable, but you haven't achieved it yet. And you know, you have to you have that minimum bar of like, you have to get above here in terms of product quality before mm-hmm. people can really realize business value from it. Mm-hmm. And so that's where, okay, now you're going to have to, you're going to have to bring out your checkbook. It's going to, it's going to be a bit of an effort, right? Yeah. And you're going to have, first of all, you have to plan potentially for iterations, right? Everything I talk about now, you're going to have to plan for the fact that you have to do it twice. You might have to do it three times. It's just the nature of the beast. And then uh, you're going to need, uh, first of all, you're going to need a, what, what I call a data engineering team, which is going to be people who's, who are tasked to organize that data and get it pro- ready for use in a data product. And often, if you're planning to actually put this out the door, they're also going to have to build a principled data pipeline so that as new data arrives, it's, it continues to flow into this well-structured form that you can take advantage of it. The compute cost, though, is considerable. Yes. And the, and basically it ratchets up the more that you have a problem, essentially, right? Like the harder it is to get a model to perform the way you need it to, the more you're going to have to spend. And that's kind of obvious, I guess, you know, to even to an outside person who doesn't understand uh, the space. I think, I think the, the key takeaway from what you just said there is that we have these three scenarios, right? We have the thing where essentially what you have to do is just incorporate it so you don't fall behind. We have the mid scenario where you benefit greatly from the stuff that's out there and you can customize it and tailor it to your situation with your proprietary data and hooray. And then we have the third case where, sorry, you have to roll your own from scratch and it's going to be much harder and more expensive. In my mind, this is, I'm seeing these as like almost order of magnitude jumps. Yeah, this is definitely an order of magnitude. First one cost me 10 grand. The second one cost me a hundred. The last one cost me a million. Yeah. And scale accordingly. Yeah, no, that's, that's a very fair way to look at it. I think order of magnitude is probably the right scale. Although, with the caveat that the last scenario, when the first two don't work so well, the, the last scenario, it can be very hard to predict really what the cost is going to be to get to where success is. And you need to be prepared for that. You need to basically decide up front, when's the moment that I'm going to decide to cut bait and just yep, walk away totally. from this because I'm not getting the result that I need? Uh, because there's always an opportunity to try to build something better, either by incorporating more data um, by doing more uh, exhaustive training, use, building a bigger model than, than the one you built in the last iteration. There's a lot of different, and doing a more exhaustive hyperparameter search, right? All of those things 
are all possible investments that could just, you could try to keep going forever, diminishing returns each time. But again, you know, there's often for, for products in the AI space, there's like, you know, very much a threshold that if you're below that threshold, you don't have a product. It's just, right. And, and if you just get just above that threshold, suddenly you have an amazing product. Right. And so it can be very hard to make that judgment call of like, when am I going to stop? But you have to decide that up front, I think. Yeah. And, and you just sort of commit yourself to it and you go, this is what I'm going to have to see after I spent this much money. I need to know what the answer, you know, if I don't see this kind of result, I'm going to walk away. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes back to something we said in the main conversation, which was also about you need to understand before you go down this road, the business outcomes you're really hoping for and like what product outcomes that are on the way to those business outcomes. Because otherwise, especially if you end up in in bucket three, the really hard case, like it it can be extremely hard to know when to stop and when it's just not worth it anymore. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, just in wrapping this up, any other kind of like, hey, just seen this come up as a gotcha in, a, in every budgeting conversation, like everyone forgets about this or, or anything like that, where you're just like, hey, just don't forget this. Um, yeah, actually, and, and I should have said it because it is an important part of it. There is, particularly once you get into the second and third case, but even in the first case, there is a bit about measuring your outcomes that is an investment that you need to make that people often forget about how much investment they need to make there. And what they find out either at the end is, oops, there's an extra cost I didn't think about, or you don't spend the money and then you don't get really meaningful results. So this is about stuff like making sure you're properly collecting signals about whether you got a good result or not, um, that you're organizing that data in a useful way. And if you're doing any kind of like A-B testing, making sure that you're doing that in a principled fashion, as opposed to some sort of ad hoc fashion. And you do definitely want to work with your team to identify how much investment you need to make there right from the beginning, because that's the part that people always forget about. Yeah. And the one thing I'll add on to that is with anything like this would be a very good time to engage your product discovery and prototyping skills, because particularly if you're in bucket three and you don't know how much it's going to cost you, but you know it's a lot, you need to figure out if it's actually going to deliver any business value. And that is what product discovery is all about. So please do that. And Remember that like, you know, and I think this in the main conversation, we talked about this, there's this idea that not every product is going to end up being an AI product or having AI in it. And that's fine. Right. But you can still benefit from AI in other ways, maybe your internal operations, things like that. But just some things to think about to to help people perhaps stay a little more even keeled amidst the pressure they're probably feeling to AIify all the things like it does not always make sense. And that is okay. Yeah. And that's a very important part of all of these projects where I talked about them is you're going to measure an outcome. And one of the the possible outcomes is this doesn't work. This is not a good application of the technology and it doesn't work. That has to be, that's table stakes. You have to have an agreement. That's a possible outcome before you start exploring the space in the first place. Yep. You're not prepared to believe that is possible at least. Then, you know, you got to have that conversation. Yeah, it's a very fruitful leadership conversation to have of like, Really getting clear on the outcome. So, all right, Chris. Well, thank you so much for for uh, sharing that with us. I know that so many of the th- questions I asked you, the answer it really is it depends. But just getting a rough mental model, I think, is actually really useful for people because there, there's just so many unknowns here. So, thank you very much. Thank you very much, and and you framed it really well. I, I think it is really about just having the mental model and and being aware of the fact that you don't know there there are a lot of unknowns, and it really does depend. But you can certainly use that mental model to help you walk through the unknown. 
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, I'd be so grateful if you could do me a favor and take about 25 seconds to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That helps me reach way more listeners, and it also helps me bring you more great guests. As always, please feel free to reach out to me anytime at connect at makethingsthatmatter.com. And until next time, my friends, leave them better than you found them. See you out there.